This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Hawk Talk podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Forget you and you and you. I hate your friends and they hate me too. I'm through, I'm through, I'm through. This that hot girl by my anthem, turn it up and throw attention. This that hot girl by my anthem, turn it up and throw attention. This that throw up in your Birkin bag, hook up with some. Hey, fan, thanks for tuning in. This is episode 94 of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on any format where you listen, Spotify, Apple, Google, Google, Stitcher. We are there. And please be sure while you're there to leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And I'm happy to be joined by Ty Richardson. He is from ESPN Arkansas, hitthatline.com. You can catch him 6 to 9 Monday through Friday uh, on ESPN Arkansas. I'll let him tell you more about that here as we get into the show. Ty, first of all, man, it's uh, great talking to you as always. And how have things been going for you as throughout this quarantine process and as the state begins to open back up? Well, like you, miss sports, uh, ready for them to be back. It's been interesting, to say the least, trying to find content, daily content for a three-hour sports radio show. We've had to be creative in a number of different ways, but I'm just ready to for us to get back to normal. But 2020 just doesn't seem to be letting us do that. Right, Kyle? It, yeah, definitely. Uh, as we've seen basically since January, starting off with possible World War III, and it's like every month it seems like something happens. And I, I know, man, it's I, we've been scraping things up too and, and just trying to get every bit of content that we had. Speaking of, I know that you being a big basketball guy, and we'll get into the Razorback basketball program here in a second, but as we, we – I guess it was two weeks ago at this point, we uh, just finished the 10-part docuseries of The Last Dance. And I know that we pretty much all knew about the the two different three-peats that the Bulls have had and a lot of the backstories there. But there was some things, I think, especially in terms of Jerry Krause and the front office that we learned a lot about. What was your overall take of that whole docuseries? I remember them coming out with the trailer around Christmas time in 20 or that would have been 2018 because it would have been a year and like six months or something because it was set to release in June. And I remember he was so angry the fact that they were releasing a trailer a year and a half early and for them to move it up because of everything going on in the world right now because we don't have sports and ESPN really needed some content was great. And it's the most watched ESPN 30 for 30 documentary 
of all time. It averaged, I think, 5.6 viewers, if I remember that statistic correctly. Unbelievable. Thought it was fantastic. Now, there's certain elements that we didn't get to or they didn't get to. You have Horace Grant and some other players uh, come out and say that certain things were false. This we got to remember, Michael Jordan's production company had a big part, and I believe the final say so in all this. So it's going to be centered and skewed in a way that Michael and his people want. But I was really highly entertained by it as a Michael Jordan fan. It was great entertainment for me. Jerry Krause was not just throughout the series, but people that remember when all this stuff was actually happening. He was an extremely polarizing figure. What I got from him now, I am one of those guys that you would always want to be a human, a decent human being. However, you have to remember at the end of the day, this is a business. I don't think that Jerry Krause personally was as bad as people made him out to be. Now, should Scottie Pippen have made more money? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of underlying things that should have been different more than likely. But, of course, MJ and some of the other players did say without Jerry Krause forming that team that they wouldn't have been together. Now, organizations, as MJ also said, does not win you championships. But I guess I guess what I'm getting to essentially is what was your takeover? Did you think that Jerry Krause was as bad as they made him out to be? Or, I mean, he is what he is, one of the greatest GMs of all time. It's tough that he doesn't get to defend himself when the documentary was made because he had passed away before that. So I think that's an element that certain people mentioned and touched on, which I think is an important part of the equation. But he was a tremendous GM, and it took the Bulls a little bit to get back on track, and he was really the architect of that. You heard Michael and Scotty. You heard uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, the full Borns owner, say how important he is and was to those six championships and he just had for whatever reason there was a big divide between him and the players and you see that sometimes between management and players or management and coaches but sometimes it's it's more evident that the canyon is wider with how certain gms conduct their business and it seems like the players really didn't like jerry krause and it was really headed by michael and scotty now on scotty's contract scotty signed a longer contract and you heard jerry ronstorff tell him he didn't think he he didn't think he should sign it because they at the time did not renegotiate deals and Scotty had back issues he had fa- family he wanted to take care of so he just wanted to have a long secure contract. Little did he realize that he would be worth so much more than he initially signed for. So it was a tough situation. They laid their lines. It's just a bummer that we didn't get here Jerry's side of the story when it comes to that. Well, that's what I was I, – I mentioned, I guess it was after the first two episodes because the second one was when they had really put the spotlight on Scotty. And that's what I had said initially was I understand that when he first signed that contract that he was looking out for – especially growing up the way he did. What was it, 13 brothers and sisters in an in a extremely poor household in Hamburg, Arkansas. Really was just trying to take care of the people that took care of him, his, mm-hmm. his support system. And I think that that was the biggest problem that I had when he had, because at the beginning of the episode, you you remember, he said, yes, I was, that's essentially what he did. He signed to take care of his support system. And then at the end of it, he basically said, well, I'm just not going to do it this summer because I want to enjoy my summer. And then I I think that that holds back the team. I think that was an extremely selfish. I I know that this is from a perspective of somebody that never even came close to sniffing (laughs) professional sports and really what, how, how all those things goes behind, goes on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, you're not just messing with the like the to get back at the front office. You're 
screwing around with the fans that pay the money to come see you play. And so I think that I, I think just because he was contractually obligated at that point, that it was a little bit selfish on his part because at, as he said, he knew what was, he knew when he signed the contract. Now he was a lot younger at the time. And as you mentioned, Jerry Reinsdorf had told him not to sign it, just like he had initially sold, told MJ not to sign a deal. And so I think that that was the biggest issue that I had. I, I love Scotty Pippen. I, I, I love watching him play. Of course, you know, I know that, um, no, you're a couple years younger than me, so you probably saw the back end of his career. Some of my earliest memories are when he was still with the Bulls and then some when he was with uh, with the Rockets. But, uh, yeah, I think that was the biggest issue that I had with that is that at the very beginning of the episode, he talks about how he's, yeah, I'm just trying to take care of my support system, and then he goes back on that, what was it, 50 minutes later. So, uh, but, yeah, that was, so did you did you think that that was the right move, though, or did you, did you kind of feel like that he was – not really backstabbing the team, but just being selfish. On that note, there have been several reports out there that Scottie Pippen did not like how he was casted in this documentary, and he, he did not like how he was portrayed. So it seems like that based on what we saw, he was not a fan of how that played out. I think it's a combination of a couple things. One, you mentioned him being at a young age and him wanting to take his family, take care of his family. He was worried that he would have an injury that could deter his career and really end his career and that he wouldn't be able to take care of his family like he wanted to. So that's why he did it. But you have to know going into any contract negotiation, regardless of if it's a sports one, if it's just a, an average Joe business, whatever you're doing, that you got to follow your contract. And it, the selfishness aspect, I would be ticked too because what was he, the 100 and something? 122nd. 122nd, I would be very irritated, too, if I had Scottie Pippen's talent. Kyle, you got to remember, this happened in 94. That team won, I think, 54 games and went toe-to-toe with the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference semifinals, which, if not for a phantom call on Scottie Pippen fouling Hubert Davis, which I don't believe occurred, they might have won that series and gone to an Eastern Conference finals, which is just spectacular that that team was able to do that. And Scotty really took over when Michael was gone and retired for that year and a half for, before he came back from baseball. So this is a guy that definitely deserved to be paid more. I Like you, I didn't get to a professional level of sports, so I don't know how your mindset changes when money's involved. But I do know that a lot of players and Bulls management were frustrated with Scotty, and I think some of it's deserved so. We'll switch gears over to Razorback basketball now. And a couple weeks ago, we had Aaron Torres from Fox Sports on talking about Isaiah <laughs> Joe and Mason Jones. Yeah, and we had him. I know he's a friend of uh, your your network as well. He's on. Is is he on halftime uh, every Friday afternoon? Is that right? With Jenkins every, and Elson. Every Friday he comes on uh, twelve thirty. So yeah, that's right. I knew I, I knew it was I knew it was at least Thursday or Friday. I know I know you've uh, you've been pretty cool with him for for quite some time and. And I, I've I've known him for about a year now, and, and talked some basketball with him here and there. And one of the things that I came up with that I just that just randomly popped into my head, and I said it on the pod about two or three months ago, or well, I guess it was about two months ago. Mason Jones possibly could have, and I and I'm not, and I've said this over and over again too. I'm not saying that this is exactly how I feel, but I think it's a good argument. I think that in some ways, Mason possibly could have hurt himself in terms of one, if he wanted to come back now to where he really had no choice, but to go pro because of how well he played, how well he took over the entire season with the, with what he had to do 
all that weight on his shoulders. Do you feel that really his only choice was probably to go pro? Because with all the talent coming in, it's almost impossible to think that he will need to do what he had to do this year, but also that with how much they'll probably be sharing the ball with, with more guys and more depth, do you feel that he just basically had no choice but to go to the NBA or, or enter the draft at least? Clay Henry and I have disagreed about this a little bit, publisher of Hawks Illustrated. He's made the point that, well, with these additional guys, maybe his job becomes easier. He's not going to get double teamed because there's so many offensive weapons around him. That's kind of the point he's made. I'm going to kind of stick with you. With the fact that you have Moses Moody, K.K. Robinson, Devontae Davis, Jalen Williams, Jalen Tate, Vance Jackson, if Isaiah Joe was to return, I think he gets less touches. And we've seen that he is much better with the basketball in his hand than without it in terms of his production. you got to remember, this is the guy that shot the most free throws in the country, or second most, I'm, I'm forgetting the statistic, number one possession usage in the SEC, number two in college basketball. He had the ball a lot. I think this next year's team's going to spread it out a little more because there's more offensive talent on the floor. And hopefully Isaiah Joe comes back. So I'm kind of like you. I think that he was going to have to like go. I, I was under the impression initially I thought Isaiah Joe's going to go. Mason's going to come back. And then the more I looked at it, I was like, Mason has a lot more to lose if he comes back than he has to gain. That was in my opinion. I think that he could fall a lot farther than he could climb higher. So Mason entering the draft, we actually just talked to Kristen Peak of Yahoo Sports, who has him at 45th on her mock draft, actually above Isaiah Joe at 55. So I think he probably had a lot more to lose if he would have came back than he would have the game if he had came back for one more season at the U of A, Kyle. I know it's still just speculation right now, of course, because Mason Jones obviously went, uh, got an agent. So he's he's been long gone for a couple of weeks at this point. But with Isaiah Joe, do you think that now that he is – because I, I think on the last couple of mock drafts that I've seen, he's been there between that 50 and 60 pick range. And I'm not sure what you're hearing. It seems like people from his camp have been extremely quiet, kept this under wraps really well. Do you think that, that he will come back? I know that he, he has to – the draft is a little less than a month away, and he has to take his name out 10 days before. But, I, I, again, I'm not sure what you're hearing, but it, it seems like they're doing extremely well keeping it quiet. I've yet to listen to Kevin McPherson's interview that he had with Isaiah. He was with him this past weekend. I want to listen to that. But I know that Eric Musselman has already talked to the Arkansas media and said that Isaiah and his family have been emphatic that they're not going to hire an agent. So you won't see a dramatic, oh, he's hired an agent, he's gone. But the longer that this goes on, the longer that we don't hear anything, I'm under the impression that that's a good thing for the Arkansas basketball program. That's just my opinion. I don't have any connection to Isaiah. I don't have any connection to his family. Uh, I'm not a great forecaster when it comes to this. I just think the longer this that we don't hear anything about this, there's a better chance that he comes back. And I think that unlike Mason, Isaiah excels. And not that Mason doesn't excel off the ball, but Isaiah's strength is more going to be catered to sharing the basketball because he's such a such a sharp shooter from the three-point line. And there's going to be so many weapons on this next basketball team that he would probably thrive in this offense. Talked to Sam Vecini of The Athletic a couple weeks ago about Isaiah and the opportunity potentially presenting itself if he was going to be the main guy, if he was going to be the one in some of those on-ball situations. And Sam thinks he can take it over. 
I'm curious to see if he came back, what he would look like, Eric Musselman's offense, but I think he would be pretty solid, and I would be really excited to see him back. And if he goes to the NBA, all the best luck to him. Arkansas fans should cheer for him regardless of his decision in the next month or so. We talked about just a second ago the talent coming in, Moses Moody, Devontae Davis, Jalen Williams, and K.K. Robinson, the four recruits. And, of course, you also mentioned Jalen Tate and Vance Jackson, the the uh, grad transfers coming in. But how, how – just what what can you say? I know that you've talked about – you and Tommy on, on the Morning Rush have talked about Coach Musk. You guys actually had him on a couple of weeks ago. I, I was able to catch that. But what, just what do you what do you have to say about what he's been able to do just in the year, the little over a year that he's been there keeping that top well I guess it was just outside was it top five or was it just outside it was it number top five, five or six gets me in six on twenty four seven and seven on rivals so just depending on the service that you like those are how they're laid out but Kyle it's been quite impressive man I mean th- here's a guy that. Devontae Davis was committed to Oklahoma State. It looked like Jalen Williams had a potential to leave and not go anywhere. I don't even know if Arkansas was really on K.K. Robinson and Moses as Moody's radar. I know they're from here, but the, you weren't hearing a lot of chatter, it seems like, with those guys. Musk comes in, gets four of the five top in-state kids. I know that Chris Moore's headed off to Auburn, but Bruce Pearl is an elacious recruiter as well, so give credit to where credit's due. But he's instilled a recruiting culture in just one season, which I think is quite impressive. And you keep hearing Arkansas's name buzz across the basketball circuit when it comes to AAU kids, whether it's offering kids, whether it's just showing virtual tours, just getting their name out there because Arkansas basketball is a sleeping giant, Kyle. I know we've heard this statistic a million times. No Sweet 16 since 95. No 8, no, since 96, excuse me. No AP Top 10 since 95. That's a long time and it should not have been this long with is how talented the state is in basketball wise high school and the facilities that Arkansas basketball offer the football you can't measure it up to other top SEC docs you just can't baseball you can't bomb Walker Dave Van Horn that's good Eric Musselman is trying to get it to the status of what Arkansas baseball is I don't know if they'll ever get it there but it sure seems like this program is in the right direction right now under Muss. Some of the most recent news that we've heard from Athletic Director Hunter Juracek, I believe it was last Thursday, he came out and said that as of June 8th, that's when the student-athletes are going to be able to start reporting back. They're going to kind of do it in waves. And unless you're actually having symptoms, and I'm might, i I'm not sure that I'm hitting all of this on the head, but I, I recall him saying that if, as long as you don't have symptoms – of COVID, you're not going to be tested. And so long as there doesn't seem to be a lot of people getting sick or having the symptoms, they're just going to continue to do business as usual and let the the different uh, student athletes come in as it goes. But uh, do do you, I personally loved the way that he did that. He was very, he explained why he was doing what he, while they were, while they're doing what they're doing. And I, I love the the strategy that they're going. I think that it's one of the safest ways, but also definitely effective because you've got to come back at some point. What, what did you think about what he had said in his interview the other day and what their strategy is for the, the upcoming summer? That was the one point that I was a little curious. I didn't necessarily disagree with, but I was just curious. And they said they got advice from, I believe the CDC, and to what you're saying, and just to readdress it, Kyle, he said that they are, as you mentioned, they're not going to tra- test everyone for COVID-19, the ones with systems or from high-intensity areas, which I think is New Orleans, New Jersey, New York, 
and there's one other place that I'm forgetting. That just sounds weird to me, but uh, they obviously probably have some good medical advice that I haven't read or heard about. So that's the reasoning behind that. And they're going to do the, the, the different, like moving in athletes in different ways. They have phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. They're going to have the social distancing. If someone does get infected, they have a, a procedure and a plan to how to go about that. Because if we're being honest, someone at the U of A is going to get COVID-19 or is going to bring it with them. And it's how they go about the plan after the fact that's going to be very important for Hunter Yurchek and this Arkansas athletic community. We don't know anything fact-based at this point in terms of – how many fans are going to be at the games outside of they're only doing the season tickets right now. I think about 31,000 have been sold. They're not doing any single game. How do you foresee that? And again, obviously everything that we're most of the stuff that we've talked about since we started talking about this is a lot of hypothetical stuff, but dating, I mean, talking about from the beginning of of some of the things that we've discussed, but how do you foresee this coming? I, I don't see it being full capacity. I know that that's what he had said that, they're going to, that's the goal initially, but especially at least at the beginning of the season, I just don't see it being very likely that, uh, not that there, there might be closer to uh, 76,000 fans because of the excitement for coach Pittman, uh, as opposed to the 20,000 or so that were there under Chad Morris. But I, I don't, I just don't see that being able to operate at full capacity, at least at the very beginning. Do you think that it possibly could just be the season ticket holders right now? As you mentioned, 31,000 season tickets hold. That does not include students. Many of those are suites. We'll see how that plays out. I don't know how they're going to divvy out the 7,500 allotment of visiting tickets as well. There's so many different things that could could occur. And Kyle, several times when Hunter Yurchak spoke to the Arkansas media, he said, this is what we're planning on. But he did mention a couple times, I don't want to get back in the corner. I don't want to say something. I have to go back. So to be honest, man, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have full capacity. I don't know if it's going to be half. I don't know if it's going to be a third. I'm hopeful that's full capacity. Heck, I'm hopeful we have a miracle and someone from Arkansas invents the vaccine tomorrow. But I just don't know at this point. And I don't know what the proper medical, um, or like the medical wise, what, what the correct thing is to do for people's safety. So that's a question I just, I, I don't have a good answer for you, man, if we're being quite honest. Yeah, and and none of us will have an answer, especially with the amount of changes that will probably be made even in the next month or so. Uh, so because it at this point, what was it? I guess it was mid March. I know I know I was texting you right as they had made the announcement uh, that the SEC tournament was canceled. I think that was like March 11th or March 12th, uh, and we thought that by now at that time that we would be pretty much completely over this, or at least at least uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And we might start to see that light at the end of the tunnel. It's just extremely, extremely dim right now. Um, But keeping on with the football program, I'll ask you what I've asked pretty much every guest we've had since, uh, since the hiring of Sam Pittman, or at least since around signing day. I, I think that this was a dang near perfect hire by Juracek in terms of basically just because you didn't have to get that flashy five, $6 million a year guy. And we talk about how we're ready to compete in the SEC again. We're ready to compete for bowl games again. But realistically, we can't even compete in general. You're having group of five teams come in and just blow you out at home. Do you feel that with the help that we needed at offensive line and continuing to recruit well, which Chad Morris' staff did really well, 
was Sam Pittman exactly what Arkansas needed? I know that we haven't seen anything on the field, but just as we know, as much as we know right now, do you feel like that that was just almost the perfect hire that Juracek could have made? I think you want someone that wants to be here. And I've come out and said that you should be skeptical that he doesn't have any head coaching experience in Division One or in the SEC. And that's an important asset. That's an important part of any resume that you want to have when hiring someone in the most difficult divisions in college football, the most difficult division in college football. So you should be a little worried about that. That that being said, that doesn't mean he can't overcome that. That doesn't mean he can't hire great assistants and people around him, which he has seemed to do at this point. As Kendall Bryles as his OC, Barry Odom as his DC. I think that's very important that he has good people in place advising him and trusting in those guys and then bringing in players. This team, as you mentioned, just got waxed these last couple of years. Like it's one thing to lose tough, close games, which you saw in a couple. And then other times they just got run off the field. And you think about the toughness of Arkansas football, whether it was Bobby Petrino, whether it was Houston Nutt, whether it was Ken Hatfield, Frank Broyles, Lou Holtz. There was a toughness element, a toughness factor. And that's been missing for Arkansas for quite some time. You really need that back. Hopefully Sam Pippen can give it to this ball club. Well, Ty, before we get off here, uh, I'll go ahead and let you uh, tell about Hit That Line. I know that plenty of people around the state know about ESPN Arkansas, but you guys have different uh, different stations depending on what part of the state you're in. So uh, talk about the shows that you guys have and where, where we can listen. You can listen to Morning Rush every weekday from 6 to 9 a.m., 95.3 in Fort Smith in the River Valley, 99.5 and 12.90 up in Fayetteville in northwest Arkansas, 104.3 Harrison Mountain Home, 96.3 Hot Springs Central Arkansas. You can also listen to us via video stream. We got it on Facebook. We got it on YouTube. We got it on Twitter. You can also listen to us on hitthatline.com, and if you have the TuneIn app, you can find us there as well. I think me and Tommy do a pretty good job. It's highly entertaining. You got Tommy's got 18 years on me, so it makes for a good show. We do our best to put in a lot of work and effort into it every single day. Yeah, and it's not just the buzz that gets the great callers. You guys got Eddie from Clarksville. There's a lot of uh, – what was it? Uh, Lisa from the northeast part of the state. She's a hoot yeah. too. Uh, there's there's uh, multiple ones uh, that you guys have. So, yeah, the morning rush with, with Tommy and Ty. And, of course, you've got uh, you've got the afternoon show halftime pod with Matt Jenkins and Phil Elson. Uh, a lot of good stuff over there. So, well, Ty, man, uh, it's always great talking to you, my man, and I uh, really appreciate you taking some time out for us. Kyle, good to catch up with you, man. Be safe in Little Rock. Um, I know, obviously, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. And, um, man, just good to catch up with you. Yeah, you as well. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening, as always. And uh, for this episode 94, appreciate uh, all the support that you guys continuously give us. And as Ty said, make sure you all stay safe out there during these times. That'll do it for this episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name's Kyle Sutherland. We'll catch you next time.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.